are listening to True Crime Twins, a true crime podcast hosted by Chloe and Melina Cantor. True Crime Twins is distributed by Glassbox Media and is part of the Crawlspace Media family. Welcome back to True Crime Twins, where we use our academic and professional backgrounds in criminology and medicine to bring you crime stories each week. I'm Chloe, here with Melina to bring you another week of true crime. This week, we are continuing our coverage into the Columbine High School Massacre. In part one, we broke down the background and timeline of the Columbine High School shooting. The legacy of the 1999 shooting in Littleton, Colorado, has had a long-standing impact on school safety and prevention methods. The word Columbine is basically used interchangeably with the word school shooting. It's almost a colloquialism. And it even has an effect that sociologists coined as the Columbine effect. There have been dozens of copycat shootings where the shooters later described their inspiration being from Dylan Klebold and Eric Harris. They described them as brothers and heroes. And the media, I think, is now being encouraged to take a different approach in reporting and telling these stories of school shootings since the Columbine High School massacre. One element of the Columbine effect that I'd like to unpack is one that has been weighing heavily on me since we started doing research on this case. I was aware of this beforehand, but not the extent of it. And that is the romanticizing and fantasizing and glorifying of mass murderers. This isn't just something that has happened with Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold. I saw it with Jokar Zarnayev in the aftermath of the Boston Marathon. There was literally sexual fan fiction written about him on the internet where people are describing being on the run with him and making all these excuses for him saying that he was forced or influenced by his brother. Of course, in the proceedings of the case, it was clear that he was not forced by any means to put a backpack with a pressure cooker bomb next to a tree and a six-year-old boy, knowing that the explosive next to the tree would cause maximum harm to a helpless child. People can look at these criminals, these people that they've never met and that they never will meet, assuming that they've been captured and are in supermax prison or have died following their crimes, such as Eric and Dylan. They're never going to meet them. They're either dead or they are in supermax. So they can really project whatever they want onto them. And if that's someone that they find physically attractive, then they're going to project onto that person to make them their ideal mate. And it didn't help that in this case, Dylan Klebold's personal diary entries, where he wrote four Lauren essays about being in love with a girl who doesn't even notice him. He describes her as having a great body and almost perfect face and that he loves her. There's even a Tumblr with the URL being a quote from Dylan Klebold's journal, which was... I hope she likes me as much as I love her. People resonated with his entries and they thought that he was this hopeless romantic. This massacre happened before the term incel was really popularized in the media. 
but it is known that Eric and Dylan were both virgins and wanted attention from women, but didn't get it and had a lot of rage and anger as a result. In Eric's diary entries, he fantasizes about sexually assaulting women. He has no respect for women in general and feels that they owe something to him, which is very characteristic of the incel mindset. And they wouldn't be the only incels that went on to commit mass murders. I'm not saying that all incels are mass murderers. I'm not trying to be at all disrespectful. I don't even know if the term incel is even politically correct anymore. So please feel free to um, correct me on this. But there was a very popularized shooting in Southern California where a young man named Elliot Roger, who was an incel, took all of his rage out on young women for not wanting to be with him. And what really underlies that incel mindset is prejudice and believing that you are superior to others, a grandiose delusional mindset. Elliot Roger believed that he was superior in his genetic makeup to some of the men that women were choosing over him. Eric and Dylan both expressed Nazism in their ideation and probably had the same resentments. Looking at this from a psychological standpoint, as I so often like to do, I think it is plausible that women who are drawn to murderers and who are prone to projecting their ideal mate onto these either dead or incarcerated individuals who they never actually have a chance to get to know, I think some of it is an evolutionary complex gone wrong. Like when you think back to the caveman era, men who killed were considered an ideal mate because those were the people that were considered to be capable of protecting a family back in the day when it was kill or be killed. And that kind of behavior was prevalent in an uncivilized society. Now we are in a civilized society, but I do think that maybe something goes wrong a little bit in the wiring of some people and they are not as evolved as others. That goes for both sexes, not just women, but I think men also can be prone to being less evolved than others based on how they are raised. And I think these women find these men sexually and romantically attractive because as killers, they are powerful. They were powerful enough to end the lives of others and be dominant. And for whatever reason, that is something that they are drawn to. Not everyone is drawn to that type. And people have various reasons for wanting that type. But I do think it's clouded in delusion because there's not going to be an authentic connection with someone who's dead or someone that you'll never meet. You go on these blogs and there's posts with just pictures of Dylan Klebold's face. And the caption is, Dylan Klebold's nose, that's all. Like, I think, complimenting his nose. And it has so many reposts and so many comments by other blogs dedicated to Dylan and Eric. Their online monikers were Reb and Vodka. There are a lot of photos of people with those names tattooed on their skin with Dylan Klebold's handwriting from his journal entries and the unique hearts that he would draw on their skin. They have the outline of their corpses or the outline or silhouette of them holding up their guns as seen through the Columbine High School library surveillance camera. 
the devotion that people have to these men that are dead to want to copy what they've done to want to tattoo their likeness and their writings onto your skin it is a cult that columbine effect and it's so influential in our society and i think the media approached it in such a different way than they ever would today now a lot of sources will fail to even name a shooter or maybe they'll do it once and then never follow up about it because it seems better understood now that a motivation for these killers often seems to be the glory and the attention. They want to feel powerful. Eric and Dylan would absolutely love the Columbine effect and how influential they have been in American culture. They wanted that. They felt insignificant in their lives. They lived very privileged lives. They went to a good school. They both had very nice homes. They had families that seemed to be normal, more on that later, but they were so disenfranchised or they felt disenfranchised at the school. They didn't feel a sense of belonging. There are varying reports on whether Eric and Dylan were bullied. There is a video that can be seen online of one of them just being shoved like it was nothing. And they reacted as if it was something that had happened all the time. Apparently, they were both bullies themselves as well almost reacting and going back down the food chain in the social hierarchy of the high school. And just looking back on high school, I kind of remember people like that, just really angry kids who had low impulse control, who were socially awkward and insecure and easy targets for teasing and bullying. And those angry kids with the low impulse control and the short fuse would then take it out on someone even less powerful than they are. Because of how insignificant and ostracized and traumatized they felt by society, they would love how their legacy has inspired more hate and violence. They would love that five or more movies have been inspired by what they've done. I've seen a few of them. I saw Bowling for Columbine. Michael Moore did pretty comprehensive coverage. I think some of the victims that he interviewed in the movie later felt left in the lurch by him. And that he kind of used their trauma for shock value and for monetary gain and felt that Michael Moore had made some false promises to get into their good graces. Elephant is a Gus Van Zant movie that's inspired by the Columbine shootings, but it's not supposed to be a exact reenactment of the events. Interestingly, Gus Van Zant had some homosexual overtones in the film regarding a contributing factor to what their motive could have been. In a scene before they carried out the shootings, they talked about how they had never kissed anyone before, and it shows them kissing in the shower. There is absolutely no evidence that this happened that day. It is not accounted for at all. It may be Gus Van Zandt's theory, or whoever wrote that scene's theory, that the two were gay and had some relationship together, Again, there's really no evidence of it. I thought the fact that they are wearing the same glove and wanted to die together, there might be some romantic undertones to that. I don't know. It would also explain their hyper-masculinity and completely unreasonable need for power and dominance that could be a way that they coped and overcompensated. I don't know if it would have been a problem for Dylan's family, but I think in Eric's military upbringing, he never could have safely expressed himself and who he was as a person if that were the case. 
Again, there's no evidence of that, but there are, are more people besides Gus Van Zant that believe that to be a possibility. Eric Harris's family has been pretty much mum to the media. They haven't written any books. They haven't made many statements at all. The Klebolds were the same for a while, but now Sue Klebold, Dylan's mom, has done TED Talks. She wrote a book. She has been on different documentaries talking about it. At first, I found her presence and her words very compelling, and I honestly felt extremely sorry for her, and I still do feel sorry for her. But eventually, her presence started to honestly feel unseasonable to me. I understood her saying her piece initially, but I just feel like she's spreading her message in a way that this is a message that's going to be very helpful to a lot of people. And I'm sure that it can be for people that may be having homicidal ideation, young people with poor impulse control that might be planning on doing something severe and permanent. The tone that I get from a lot of her messages is, we had no idea. We were not negligent parents for not noticing the signs that Dylan Klebold was about to kill 13 people with his friend. I understand the self-blame and the guilt must be immense. And I think she does have a right to say, listen, I'm not a bad parent and I tried my best and let me explain. But it almost just feels like her goal and her mission is to travel around the world and send her message that she's not responsible. And that might sound really lacking in compassion on my part. And maybe it is. I know, again, I'm not the only person that feels this way. I feel terrible for her that she lost her son. I feel terrible for her that she seemed to not be aware of how her son was escalating. However, they were arrested that January for breaking into a van and stealing from it. I don't think children were as heavily supervised then as they are now. I think there could have been other red flags that maybe were unnoticed. Maybe I'm being a judgmental prick and the exact same thing could happen to me or anyone else with children who also have a busy life. I know that teenagers are capable of keeping immense secrets, but I don't think that the red flags weren't there. And I do feel like a lot of it is very much excusing herself for what happened. And now a quick word from our sponsors. Thanks for listening to our sponsors. Now back to the show. Something else that was done back then that I don't think would be done now was in the initial Columbine Memorial, crosses were erected for each victim and for the shooters. Eric and Dylan's crosses were among the victims. They were being honored as equals. And a lot of people took offense to that, especially the parents of the victims. Back then, the overarching narrative of Columbine was that Eric and Dylan did this because they were bullied by jocks. And that made it so a lot of people viewed them in a sympathetic light. I honestly think that some of these fan girls, and there's probably fan boys too, especially with the implications that they could have been gay. I think that maybe they think that in an alternate universe that they could have protected Eric and Dylan's feelings from the bullying and saved them from their fate and that they would be happy together. But I don't think it's rational to believe that the only reason these people did this was bullying. So many people are bullied. I was bullied in gymnastics. I was bullied on the school bus. It happens to the best of us. And it's awful and it's traumatic. Like, I'm not going to act like I didn't, like, come home <laughs> crying and ruminated about the experiences. Oh, and I was bullied in dance. 
bottom line is we all get bullied. Maybe not all of us, but a lot of us do. And we don't all become so uncontrollably angry that we massacre our peers. That never even crossed my mind. There's other elements that interact with that. And those elements would include underlying personality disorder, such as psychopathy, where there's a reckless disregard for the rights and feelings and welfare of others. The criminal psychopath is extremely and inordinately cruel and vicious in the commission of their acts. I think the psychological warfare that they subjected their victims to, choosing who would live or die, saying peekaboo, mocking them, I think a huge part of that was unnecessarily cruel. The whole thing was, but I also think it served to reassure them of their power, and that's all they really wanted. I think they felt powerless in a lot of ways, and I think bullying was a contributing factor to it, but it was not the only factor, and it's not an excuse for anything that they did, and it should not mean that they are honored as peers with their helpless victims. A huge narrative, too, is that Eric was to blame for the shootings. And I kind of think that Sue Klebold subtly perpetuates that narrative, that her son was sweet and docile and just so suicidal and very influenced by Eric. But I really don't take well to that at all because it's the same narrative with the Zarnayev brothers, that one is just so sad and so lost and this hopeless romantic and they're just swayed by the evil dominant one. And it's just not true. Even though Dylan's described as this meek, quiet guy, he's not this follower. He was better socially than Eric was. He had gone to prom not long before the shootings with Robin Anderson. She wasn't his girlfriend, but he was still able to have a date and go with the group and pose for photos. That's not something Eric was capable of with his psychopathy, he was very fringe. He couldn't conform and act like a conventional person. He was just too angry and too uncontrolled. But just because Dylan had a better public mask for it, it doesn't make him any less of a sufferer of antisocial personality disorder. It just manifested differently. And I don't doubt that Dylan was highly depressed and suicidal and hated his life. But there is a lack of regard for human life and possibly even a blurred line between fantasy and reality to carry out what he carried out. And he's just as much to blame. Back to the privilege. I've noticed that a lot of these mass shooters grew up with a lot of privilege and maybe that contributed to what made them feel so entitled for example, the affection of women and for the attention of others. They feel disenfranchised and because of their privilege, they're not used to hearing no and you can't force your peers to like you. So if you're just used to getting your way no matter what, that could be an extreme consequence that interacts with other factors. It's just interesting because the Sandy Hook shooter, the incel Southern California shooter, the Columbine shooters, and many others came from wealthy backgrounds, or at least upper middle class backgrounds. Outside of these cultural factors, there have been other changes as a result of the Columbine shootings, including zero tolerance policies regarding threats of violence and bullying in schools, increased metal detectors, 
enacting safety policies, enacting active shooter drills, which the vast majority of schools, especially elementary schools, did not do before the Columbine massacre. 